What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. We're going to start off with a prayer this morning. I have Brendan Burns with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, we come to you today asking to be instruments into your hands, that we may serve those that are listening, that they may receive the message that you would have them receive, that they may find and feel your joy, your bliss, and your love. May all beings be happy and free, and may we contribute to that. Om, peace, amen. Amen. So hi, everybody. Welcome. My name is Katori Noor, and this is the Freedom from Addiction Summit. I have the amazing Brendan H. Burns. Make sure you put that H in there, because if you don't, you'll find a different website like I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Brendan is an entrepreneur, an influencer. He's a life and business coach, and he helps people achieve their dreams and maximize their potential so that they can live happy and fulfilling lives. He is the host of the Brendan Burns iTunes show. He holds his JD. Tell us again what JD stands for, Brendan. Juris doctorate or law degree. <laughs> law degree. And his MBA from Cornell University. And he has over 100,000 followers on Instagram. So, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to, uh, to be speaking with you. My pleasure. I'm very excited to be here. So, you know, I'm curious, what had you say yes to being a speaker on this summit? For sure, it was when I saw the word addiction pop up. I was in a position earlier in my career where I was saying yes to everything related to summits and interviews to get my name out there and build some press and media. And at this point, I've been really fortunate, like you mentioned, one of my things, the Instagram account, where I now have a client base and a following. Um, so I don't say yes to everything, fortunately. But whenever I see anything in the realm of addiction, that's something I'm extremely passionate about and almost always willing to make time for um, because it was something that I went through in my life. And I think whenever we go through something personally and then come to the other side, it's something that most people are willing to say yes to because they really believe in it and they want to help other people so that they don't have to suffer as much as I or you may have. <laughs> yes to that. So are you, um, are you open to sharing with us about your story and, and what you've dealt with in, in, uh, as far as the addictions you've experienced? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, to the extent you think it's relevant, we can talk more about my upbringing and past. But the, the short version is 
my mom was a divorce lawyer who used her skills to get divorced herself many times. And I had <laughs> a lot of different dads and stepdads. And by the fourth or fifth one, I was pretty confused, like who is my real dad here? And uh, so there was just a lot of uh, trauma, abuse, dysfunction. And that was something I really swept under the rug like uh, you know, a good American boy does, right? Don't show your feelings and don't talk about it. And I went through life living a normal and successful life of getting a law degree, like you mentioned, and an MBA and working on Wall Street for a number of years. And it all came to a head when I woke up one morning to have my live-in girlfriend who I was about to propose to break up with me. Uh, my brother is in the hospital and my parents are not sure if he's going to make it or not unexpectedly. And my company that I was working at, which I identified my whole life and identity with was firing me. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, suffice to say it was quite the wake up call. And the first thing that I had to figure out was the relationship because that was where I was living. So I had to figure out what am I going to do about this first? And so I went to a Barnes and Noble near me and I went to right to the self-improvement section, which for the first 25 years of my life, I thought was a sham and fraud and for weak people. And, and then I, and I start reading the books and I start to say, Hey, wow, this is actually really relevant to my past. And this is something that could be beneficial. And it was one of those things where the quiz says, you know, if you're three of the 10 items here, you're emotionally abusive. And I was on question nine and I was already nine for nine. <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is um, abuse is, is tough and not spoken about enough in our country. Um, and it's great that we have books and resources available, but they're mostly geared towards either women or the person being abused and saying, hey, here's how to get out. Um, and they mostly portray the, the men as the abuser and um, abusers as unable to change. And I understand that because most people, it's very hard to change, um, but it can be done. I'm an example of that. And it's interesting because Beverly's book was one of the very few, I think one of only two books out of the 20 that I found that actually say, hey, if you're the abuser, here's how to stop hurting your partner so you can actually have a healthy relationship and the book resonated with me so much that I reached out to her the author and we worked together she was my personal therapist one-on-one -on -one every week for five or six years wow that's yeah. amazing that's really amazing um so how do you know if you're an abuser it's tough because when you're abusing someone else, it's generally a complete co completely correlated with the amount of pain that you're experiencing yourself. And so, for example, um, take the take a husband who's verbally abusive towards his wife. He's screaming at his wife, but he's actually releasing his pain in a very unhealthy way, where he's taking it out and projecting it onto a partner. So. Uh, in my experience, and what you see a lot, is it takes a catastrophic event, such as a divorce or a relationship ending or a death or some big event in your life to force you into awakening or consciousness. And thankfully, they talk about having a high bottom and a low bottom. So, And this is the same in addiction as well. So having a low bottom in addiction is an overdose or coma or losing a limb, for example. 
Um, and, and a low bottom in a relationship would be uh, divorce, losing your house, losing your family, losing half your assets, not being able to see your children anymore. Uh, whereas a high bottom in addiction, for example, could be, you know, getting a citation for using marijuana or cocaine and being like, okay, this is my wake up call. I need to go get help. Or a high bottom in a relationship would be like getting broken up with, but for not a marriage or not a family type situation. So thankfully I had a higher bottom as far as that goes. And uh, it was able to awaken me into, okay, I am the abusive person. But yeah, it's, that's a great question because it's generally very hard to identify it if you're stuck in the pattern. And very often, um, either women or just the abusee, the people receiving abuse, aren't always aware of it either. They're generally repeating their own pattern. For example, if their father or mother abused them growing up, you know, they say this a lot, like if your parents were alcoholics, then it's common to find yourself dating unavailable alcoholic partners who treat you kind of the same way that you were treated as a child. So the abuser is not necessarily aware. And then also the person being abused might know that there's some kind of problem, but not be fully aware of what that is. Yeah, gosh, it, it makes me think about this conversation I had with someone yesterday and we were discussing how she, she said to me, she said, I don't know why I, I had a great life and I went to this abusive relationship and I don't know why. And she had a very traumatic um, childhood. Mm. And I had shared with her, it's because that's where we're comfortable at. For those of us who have grown up with abuse, um, like that's our comfort zone. So when things are good, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I can't, I'm not comfortable with this being good. I got to go to where it's not good because that's where it's comfortable. Exactly. And something else you said that really, um, really touched me deeply was how, um, you know, and I'm a woman, obviously, and I've, you know, experienced abuse in my childhood. And, um, and you're so like dead on about how men are portrayed as the abuser. And, and it's like this thing that like, that's just how they are when really it's like they have this pain, like they've probably experienced abuse in their life. Like they have emotional pain from somewhere and they don't know how to express it or how to heal it. And um, that's really, really a profound topic that, um, I don't know how exactly it fits into the summit, but it does because here we are talking about it. <laughs> well, there's a bit, I mean, there's a big correlation between uh, abuse and uh, addiction because generally the way I define addiction is it's a way to escape from your pain and to sort of mask it and engage in some kind of activity or behavior as a way to coat what's really going on inside, which is generally pain, anger, sadness, fear, shame, guilt, something of that nature. And whether, you know, I would actually say emotional abuse is a type of addiction. You know, yelling at your partner is one behavior that you can engage in to avoid your pain or try to release your pain in an unhealthy way. So you could go to the gym, you could get a therapist, you could do boxing, you can, in something like that, releases the pain in a healthier way. Whereas whether it's alcohol, drugs, video games, pornography, social media, or, you know, taking it out on your partner, abuse could be categorized as a form of addiction. Yeah, gosh, I never thought about that. I thought, you know, I've had the, the idea about how like anger, like we can be addicted to anger, 
but being addictive to being abusive, whether it's to others or to ourselves. And I guess that's where addiction really comes in. It's, it's a lot of um, self-abuse. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. So, um, are you, so what, what have you dealt with? Like what kind of addictions have you dealt with? And, and are you, are you open to sharing with like, like, like what was the cause of it? Because, you know, some, some people say it's like the, 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 the addiction is the symptom. Some people say it's the cause and some people say it's the symptom. Hmm. And where, um, so first of all, like, where do you, where do you stand on that? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, as far as the, my addiction, I definitely didn't have just one. And I, while I'm, I would define myself as sober from my primary past addictions, I do notice myself, for example, having like a compulsive attitude around my work. And just this morning, sitting with my girlfriend, we spent about an hour talking about getting stuff off my calendar, changing my calendar links for my coaching business so people can only book, say, two days a week, um, deleting a lot of stuff. So it, I'm still very much working through because if you have, I think we talked about this separately when we caught up about that smoking center in California that had a hundred percent success rate because they would electro shock you in your face. If you smoked a cigarette, yeah. then they checked back in on everyone a year later and they were all a hundred pounds overweight, addicted to food or cocaine or something else. So, uh, I'm still very much, uh, trying to be sensitive around my emotions and the pain that kind of wants me to go do uh, either food or alcohol or something of that nature. But my primary addictions were, it's really interesting. I don't know if I even told you this when we last spoke, but one of my biggest ones was actually like just escapism, um, which was driven by anxiety. So I could, I would definitely say that I was addicted to solo travel and as a way to escape from my feelings and my emotions and from a life that I had created and cultivated that I was really unhappy with. And I didn't like the people that I was spending the majority of my time with. So in like late 2014, I booked my first ever solo trip. I went to uh, the Scandinavian countries, which became some of my favorite countries in the world because they're the darkest, coldest, quietest people who keep most to themselves. And on some level I thought, Oh, this is just so much fun. And these are great people. And I like visiting these countries, but ultimately I can look back on that and say, Oh, that was, you know, I was working on wall street where everyone was treating me like really poorly. And then I would go to these countries where everyone would just smile and keep to themselves. Of course I was going to love those places because I was allowed to experience some kind of inner peace. But on another level, I was really engaging in compulsive travel as a way to escape my pain. And then the other thing that was really interesting, and I have a friend who's going through his own addiction recovery right now, mostly around alcohol and pornography, but he is very much um, in the process of unearthing and getting working through his addiction to compulsive money spending um, and going to like fancy restaurants. So one thing that I did was I surrounded myself with certain people in New York City who were obsessed with going to these restaurants that were like $200 plus per person just for one meal. And it went from something I would do like once or twice a year to once or twice a month to I had friends who were then pushing me to like do one of these meals almost every night. 
And it got to the point where I had a hard time setting boundaries around this and I had to pull away from those friends. But that was definitely another component of it. And the travel and the food was mostly driven by insecurity of, hey, if I can go to all these places and do all these things, then everyone will like look at me and say, I'm so great. But what I really wanted deep down was true love and connection from people, which I didn't need to go prove myself and do all of those things to have. Mm. So that whole self-worth coming back up again, huh? Yeah. And it's like something that I saw my stepfather model. Uh, his was really around compulsive money spending. So he was a workaholic who earned a nice seven figure income and then use literally spent every dime he had as a way to try to get validation and acceptance from other people. So he would always be the one to pay for everyone in restaurants and he would always throw around a lot of money as a way to sort of establish himself and feel important and an un, not an unhealthy, but yeah, kind of an unhealthy way to deal with his insecurities. Gosh. And you know, it's so great that you, that you've brought this up because I wouldn't have even thought about that. Like now that, like now that you bring it up, it's like, Oh yeah. I, like people do have like that kind of that um, compulsive spending, you know, addiction, but um, we don't really ever call it addiction. We call it like habit. And, um, and gosh, just that, Oh my gosh, I just need to like be with that for a minute. That's, um, that's something that I didn't see. It's yeah. Something that I didn't see, and um, you know how how harmful it can be. Like you said, how you know how did you like how did you stop? How did you how did you first of all recognize that this wasn't serving you, and then yeah. how did you how did you stop doing that these these things? Particularly. So the spending of the, the money and the going out to the, the restaurants. So I'll tell you how I identified my addictions and then I'll tell you how I stopped. The, the way I was able to identify it was um, the other thing I would say. So the food, the travel, alcohol played a component in it. Compulsive eating played a component of it. But possibly my strongest addiction was around sex and specifically pornography. Um, and that was something that was interfering with my ability to have an intimate relationship. And while I was working with Beverly, and this was in 2014, um, she was able to uncover more trauma, more abuse that I, I went through. And we sort of realized that the pornography addiction was probably the, the biggest addiction that I had. And it was also uh, in direct proportion to the fact that the way I saw intimacy modeled as a child was extremely scary. So I had big intimacy issues and I had no interest in letting a woman into my life because I had a limiting belief that if I let a woman in, it's going to be like letting my mother back in and there's going to be all that chaos. So I said, how can I experience some level of sexuality without having to face emotions and another person? And so Beverly initially introduced me to this concept of porn addiction. And I was like, wow, cause she really called me out on it. And then I was kind of working on that a little bit over about a year and I wasn't making much progress. And then I remember doing a lot of personal development, which is something I always recommend going to seminars, going to conferences. And I went to this small event in upstate New York and 
uh, I was so amped up. I had done so much good work. I'd released so much pain and did all these exercises. And I get back to New York City and like someone introduces me to this woman. And I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm going to start dating now. And we start dating and it gets to the point for us to be like physically intimate. And there were just huge walls up and I just could not move forward with that. Meanwhile, the night before I would be engaging in some kind of porn, you know, pornography binge of some kind. So clearly it wasn't like uh, erectile dysfunction from like a blood flow perspective, but much more from like psychology perspective. Um, and a movie I would recommend to anyone who resonates at all with this is called Shame um, with Michael Fassbender, which is all about um, a man's struggle with his ability to be intimate and how it's all about the emotions there. Um, so at that point, um, I was dating that woman and we, I, was, I was really like, okay, there's something really wrong here. And uh, I, I was on a vacation, again, another solo trip. Um, and I go on Amazon and I just Google like intimacy issues. And the first book that came up was called Breaking the Cycle, um, all about shifting from um, either porn or just objectifying women to, or if it's a woman objectifying men or woman, um, into real intimacy. And I read the book and it blew my mind. And I, so I, again, like with Beverly, I reached out to the author. And that was George. And George and I worked together for three full years. Um, we worked together for 2016, 17, and 18. Um, we just culminated our work together, which was really exciting because I'm taking a new step forward in my life. But that was uh, all about addiction. Like he is a primarily a sex addiction, but just in general, he's an addiction counselor. And I worked with him one-on-one -on -one weekly. I worked in his small group weekly. I went to two of his annual retreats in Northern California. And so he gave me the tools to recover from addiction and become sober, which I'll be eternally grateful for. And he also helped me realize uh, self-love and realize my worth and that other people love me. And that specifically helped me let go of the needing to travel and eat and prove myself. Because on our second retreat, there's a gentleman, my friend, who's working through his uh, sex and alcohol addiction, but also this like, I would call it a significance addiction, an ego addiction, where he is like ordering these fancy bottles of wine and traveling all over the world. And I was like really identified with that. And I said, oh wow, I'm so grateful that I've been able to let go of that. And I know he will too on his journey. And so I think, understanding, um, learning how to let in love and, and learning how to see your own worth enabled me to say, I don't need to go prove myself. I don't need to take four flights over 30 hours to go to some obscure temple in Thailand to be good enough. I can just be sitting here in my chair journaling or watching a funny movie and I'm still the same good enough person. Yeah, if we could all get that. Yeah, because, yeah, the other application for sure in like Western civilization or even the United States specifically is in order to be enough, I have to get the promotion, be a millionaire, have the big house, have the cars, then I'll be enough. Then I'll get the acceptance and approval of everyone else. <laughs> Brendan, you just totally popped something for me. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, can I share? Yes, please. So, um, so I didn't share on this interview. Usually I try to put a little bit at the beginning of like why I did this summit. So 
you know, lots of abuse as a, ch as, as a child, a lot of experienced a lot of sexual abuse um, as a child. There was my, um, there was alcoholism, drug addiction in my family, a lot of violence. And, um, and so by the time I was 12, I began using drugs and I had, and, you know, then there was alcohol and there was meth and there was hallucinogens and there was sex also. And um, I've been so blessed to be able to move past those addictions, those really harmful ones, the ones that like had me attempt suicide. And there's still, you know, I'm doing this summit and it's my first summit. And um, lately, oh my gosh, I've just been like going like, go, 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 go. <laughs> A lot, yeah. You know, the launch date, these are all pre-recorded, the launch date's coming up. And um, when you said that just now, it was, it was like, I'm, there's that question, that little question in the back of my head, like, I say that I'm doing this to serve people and give back, but am I really? <laughs> like, am I yeah. really, or am I doing this? Because there's another piece of me that needs healing that, um, maybe needs self-worth because there's mm -hmm. definitely just this morning, you know, when you get like the monster on your face, <laughs> the oh, yeah. on your face and the alien on my face this morning, I was crying and, mm. and just like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why did I sign up? For <laughs> <laughs> so I hope that there's somebody out there listening if they're actually getting value from this because it, it is what it's about. But, um, well, well, let me ask you a question because, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Gay Hendricks and he wrote a book about something about like how to love yourself. It's all about self-love and yeah. he kind of pioneered it because he wrote it a while ago. And what he says is when you see that part of you, because I don't know about you, but if I felt that way, which happens all the time and I say, Oh my God, am I not following the mission? Am I doing this for self-worth reasons? I instantly, my mind will instantly want to beat myself up for that or say, how dare you? Or that that's such a bad thing. You have to fix it and work through it. And what Hendrix says is love it. He says, love every part of you, love the good, love the bad. If you see anger, love the anger. So if you loved that part of yourself that was doing this for the wrong reasons or for self-worth or for significance, what would that be like for you? Gosh, well, I'd have to admit it to begin with. Mm -hmm. I'd have to really like, really like look in like, cause that's scary. Cause that's like bad and ugly and, um, and I don't want to be bad and ugly, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what do you need? What do you need to be able to go in there? What support do you need? What reassurance? I think knowing that, um, that I'm, that I'm still going to be loved and that I'm not going to be like exiled or rejected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who already gives you that love? And who gives me that love? Yeah. Who's already, who's in your life that's already there for you? Oh, to, to people, you well, you know what? I try to turn to God, right? Like that's like my thing, but I think that I might be using that as a way to not need people. Mm. Um, I have a real amazing husband who, um, he, uh, you know, things are not perfect with us and we're like the oddest couple in the world, I'm sure of it, but he <laughs> is just there, like he's there all the time, like a rock, 
and um and my mom my mom is oh my gosh my mom's I actually call my mom my rock and because she's been through all of it with me you know um I have three amazing children who seem to love me no matter how much I freak out and cry (laughs) 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 they're very very forgiving souls yeah 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 yeah, one thing that I learned on my journey, and it's still very much I'm, I'm opening up to this idea is, uh, you know, when people come to me and they have stress or they need reassurance, I actually enjoy being there for someone. People, not everyone, but I think most people on some level actually feel good about being able to be there for someone else. It's almost like a gift to let someone be there for you. And because of the past that we both had, we probably both had primary caregivers that were not able to be there for us. And in fact, when we went to them for support, they may have lashed out at us. So we created rules in our mind that asking for help is selfish or asking for support will result in pain. So I'll never do that again, right? Conditioned response. Pavlov's dogs, they hear the bell ring, they salivate. We, we need support, we isolate. Yeah. That's our version of it. And what I've learned is, yes, my parents at that point in their lives were not capable of giving me what I needed, but my coaches and my mentors and my girlfriend and your husband and your mother, not only are they available to us, but they actually get satisfaction in being able to be there for us. I know that I do with my partner, for example. She comes to me and she's like afraid to speak up sometimes and then I'm able to be there for her and she feels a million times better and then I feel great because I'm able to help her. And that's actually intimacy. You know, it's interesting. Everyone says, you know, into you I see, letting people in, stuff like that. And I don't disagree with that. But another definition that I've really connected with is um, not hiding. I see intimacy as showing up. Because when you have these needs or you have this fear around exploring some stuff inside yourself and by not sharing that, by not expressing our needs in a relationship, for example, we're not letting our partner see who we really are. And so that's just another definition that I have. And I think that by bringing more love to the parts of us that we're either ashamed of or afraid of facing, um, it, it allows us, and this is something that helps me um, with breakups, for example, uh, because I'm still in that process of, you know, I'm in a relationship now, but I've been doing a lot of deep work uh, around relationships and I've had two breakups last year. And in the aftermath, my mind wanted to really beat me up and just blame myself for all of this. And loving the part of me that either chose unhealthy partners for me or the part of me that did certain things, the more I could just love the crap out of that part of me, uh, the more compassion I can have for myself and the faster it heals. That's a really great, um, that's a really great tip. You know, I always, my intention is to make sure that our viewers have tips and advice and and that sort of thing. Um, Is that, and I'm definitely going to take that on, is that loving loving those parts of ourselves that we're ashamed of or that we're embarrassed by. So how do we do that, Brendan? How do we begin, how do we begin to love those parts of ourselves that we were hiding from others, maybe even trying to hide from ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. I think 
it's it's definitely something that can be done alone but i would strongly encourage people who are listening or watching this to get frameworks and get support systems and potentially hire a coach someone like you or me or uh someone a therapist just i i like coaches more than therapists um sometimes therapists can be extremely backward looking and kind of like the 30 year talk therapy plan that doesn't do much, which is like what my mom was and probably still is on versus like deep inner work. And it doesn't matter if it's a coach or a therapist, but I I think that getting in the inside and those into the emotions uh, is really helpful. And so one exercise I can share with the listeners now that I like a lot is called cycles and in cycles, what you do is you take out a piece of paper and you have two columns and you, you draw a line down the middle. And on the left, you have the emotions of anger, sadness, fear, and guilt. Mm-hmm. And then on the right side, you, you have uh, more positive emotions of gratitude, happiness, security, and pride. And it's essentially an experience and an exercise. And it's something that I did every day, I think like twice a day for a year or two um, to get me from a point of not connecting with my emotions to being like, I cry on like a daily basis now and in a good way, like releasing the tears as they come up is you sentence complete. Um, But before you just write out, like I'm angry that my mom did this, you, you really get grounded. And for some people that's praying, for some people that's meditating, for some people it's listening to some kind of relaxation music. But what Beverly Beverly taught me this, she's um, my former therapist, is she says, put your feet on the floor, take a few deep breaths, clear your eyes, maybe notice a few things around your room. And then from that place, you could say, I'm angry that, and you fill in the blank a couple of times with whatever you're feeling and it's really important to actually feel the anger and and let it be. And by the way, sometimes if it's, if you're just in mostly anger, you don't have to go to the other ones. You can just go into an anger release, which is another exercise I could talk about. But if you feel complete with anger, then you go to sadness and then you say, I feel sad that, and you can write out a couple things that you're feeling sad about and then so on and so forth down the list. And uh, it's nice to, always end with the positive emotions because you're now saying, I'm grateful for this. I'm happy. I'm secure. I'm proud. And at the end, you actually feel really good. And um, yeah, one thing that like, and this really helps for addiction for anyone who's like going through addiction or addiction recovery, because I think addiction is very simple. Addiction is when those emotions that we're trying to write out are just inside you and you're not releasing them. So there, it's like, there's like this thing in you that's hurtful. So let me go to some kind of addictive behavior, which will make me feel better temporarily. Um, whereas the real, it's almost like if you're overweight and then you get some kind of like short-term plastic surgery that doesn't last and would need to happen over and over again versus like actually like losing the weight and changing your eating patterns. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the same thing, but emotionally is changing your emotional patterns for pulling this stuff out because emotions are actually scientifically proven to be chemicals in our body that can be released. That's why um, there's what's called somatization, which is when you have physical pain without explanation. And they say that uh, more than half of disease, illness, 
chronic stress and pain can now be correlated with some kind of emotion. Wow. I've never heard of somatization. Yes. It's, uh, you know, some people like Eckhart Tolle, the spiritual teacher, goes so far as to say that the majority or the vast majority of illness is related to emotional pain. Like it gets stuck there. And that's yeah. where we're holding it. I, yeah, I totally, totally um, agree with that one for sure. Yeah. So uh, to answer your question um, in terms of how can we love ourselves more, I think cycles is, a, is one way, but that's more like how do we just get connected to ourselves. Um, to really love ourselves, I would say first and foremost, surround yourself with people who love you unconditionally. Um, which is hard and don't like fire all your friends and like, you know, take on <laughs> 10 new friends the next day. Cause that's going to be overwhelming too. It's a, it's a process. Um, but yeah, the, the more you surround yourself with good people, the more you maybe get a coach or someone you can work with, um, who can help teach you these things. That's helpful. Um, I have a number of exercises. For example, there's a mirror exercise that I like to do. That's really helpful for self-love that Jack Canfield taught me, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And just kind of all these things can culminate. I mean, there, there are tons of good books out there. One is by, uh, your name is Cheryl. Um, well, I, I can find it, but it's called The, the Art of Extreme Self-Care by Cheryl Richardson. Okay. Um, I just love that extreme self-care, like unapologetically completely unconditionally just putting you as like the first and foremost because one thing that I'm working on in my life is I have my own business I'm in a relationship you know ask and you shall receive and now I've God has given me these things and uh but but there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of um you know instability on both sides and so what I'm really working on is myself because I think that the least common denominator in everything in my life is me and the more that I can love myself and take care of myself and build my relationship with myself, um, that's going to lead me to improving my business and my relationship and my friendships and all of that. Yes, for sure. It has me kind of thinking about, um, like, how does someone, let me, gather this question together. How does someone still serve others while still taking care of themselves? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Like you're, you had mentioned that you, um, at the beginning of the interview when, um, that you had sat down with your girlfriend and you guys were looking at your calendar and, and kind of like blocking it down, like blocking it to just a couple days. Is that so that you can have time for self care? Yeah, that's one way to do it, I think, is to set up routines and in a structured framework for, for example, like this Saturday, um, I, I had like one thing or one or two things on my calendar. I deleted both of them and I blocked out the entire day. It says growth and relax day because um, last night um, I was triggered because of something that my girlfriend did that was totally not her fault at all, but it launched me into my past. And I had a reaction and then that triggered a reaction in her. 
And that is, um, that's why I'm, you know, not doing as much relationship coaching yet. I'm much more focused on, um, business coaching because that's where I've had a lot of success and I feel really comfortable sharing this. Like I did a post on Instagram yesterday, um, which was, I thought really good about relationships. And someone was like, oh, all these single people like posting about how good they're, you know, like teaching me. And I was like, well, I'm not single. Um, but uh, I do believe that being able to walk the walk is really important because there's a difference between, there's a quote that says, uh, knowledge is not power, knowledge is potential power. Uh, so I could go take a course by Tony Robbins, who's been married for 20 years on relationships, and then just go say all the same stuff out. But that's not really valuable or ethical because I haven't lived it yet. So I try to teach things that I've personally done for myself. And that's why self-care is important. Like I tell my clients, I have a number of clients who are interested in building their own life coaching businesses. So I, I coach people on how to become coaches. And a lot of times I say to them, you have to take all of tomorrow off and like go buy a fun book. It has to be fiction because all these coaches out there, they go to the bookstore and they buy psychology textbooks and yeah. like that's <laughs> fine, but you know, have some fun too. Uh, because you're essentially, as a life coach, to some degree, getting paid to teach people how to be happy. So you have to learn that yourself and live it yourself first. Um, so to some degree, I get paid to travel because I'm teaching other people how to live like a travel entrepreneur lifestyle. But in terms of this example, um, yeah, I noticed that my, my I spend, let's say, 10 plus hours a day doing commerce and business transactions to grow my wealth and how much time am I spending working on myself today? Not that much. And that's why I said to my girlfriend, I said this Saturday, I'm spending the entire day relaxing and journaling and meditating. And we'll probably do some of that together. And that's like better than us seeing, you know, doing something else like going to a museum. I want to do that inner work. So I blocked off this Saturday. I blocked off next Friday. I'm not going to work. Um, I want to block off. And, oh, and then I created a repeating every Sunday going forward because I was doing, uh, I had a standing two or three work calls every Sunday. And that's fine. Like if I can get to a place where I'm really grounded and centered, you know, and meditating and whatever, and then I hop on one 30 minute call on a Sunday, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because I'm all, I'm all about building my business and my message and scaling everything. And some of my mentors, like there's a guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's helped me a lot with my business. And Gary's like a no days off, hustle hard, you know, type guy. And uh, I think it's a balance because I don't want to become like too much of in this sort of spiritual bypass where I don't work at all. So I, I am hungry and I enjoy this work. But I think it's, it's balancing and finding the space, especially depending on kind of where you are in your journey. Like I'm definitely still earlier on, I would say early to mid innings of like my healing. So I don't want to launch too hard into overworking myself. Yeah, I love that. Because the balance, it's like, because we could get it, like you said, spiritual bypass, like we could get addicted to just diving in and doing self-growth and self-inquiry and self, you know, self-exploration. And then on the other hand, we could dive into just work, 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 work. So I, um, I think that's really great. Uh, really, really great advice to find, find the balance to do both. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we're getting close to the end. (laughs) I see that. Is there anything else that you want to share with the viewers? Yeah. uh, So I'm I'm actually, I want to just say that I'm really grateful that I had a a really tumultuous upbringing because it forced me into awakening. And I think there are a lot of people out there, maybe not these, your listeners, because um, maybe you have a lot of people who are in addiction, who are more really open-minded to all this. But I do want to just say something to the normies out there who had a more stable upbringing and who are kind of maybe living um, what I would consider to potentially be more of a, a life that they're not maximizing their potential. Because I found that by sinking to the depths and the lows, it forced me to like reevaluate everything. And now I'm like living my best life. And a lot of people who had stable, healthy upbringings are working in jobs that they don't enjoy and they are uh, married to someone that they might not want to be with. And they're probably not, you know, using methamphetamine five times a day, but they're probably drinking a little bit too much alcohol or um, using pornography more than they're being intimate with their spouse or some kind of compulsive behavior that's not, you know, a low enough bottom to call them into awakening. So, I just want to say this to any of those listeners that if I have a lot of people who like, for example, look at my Instagram account or my business and they see me traveling the world and doing all this cool stuff. And they say that I'm lucky, you know, I I wish I could do this or you're so lucky that you can do this, Brendan. And there is nothing in my life that I didn't build man-made like with my bare hands. And if I could do it, anyone can do it. It's really not about like me being lucky or being better than anyone else. This is just literally the result of grit and persistence and repetition. Like Jim Rohn, who was Tony Robbins' mentor, said that um, repetition is the mother of skill. And my success in business, for example, is just completely the unwillingness to give up. Um, and that's why you see, like, when you look at the sports championships, like, yeah, there are a lot of times where the dynasties win, but there's just as many times where it's the guys who are not as talented, who just work their butt off, um, who make it. And I, and I truly believe that hard work beats talent and that talent can be built and learned. And this whole thing of like, you know, innately successful people who are born with it, I think is a myth. And I think that certain people are born with different strengths as opposed to others and other certain people have to work harder to be good at certain things. But for, at least in the business realm, like hire whoever you're, you know, you hire people to fill your weaknesses and same thing in relationships too. Like go be with someone who I think that, you know, just to go on like a little bit of a relationship rant for a minute, I think there's really bad advice out there that like you have to find someone who's just like you. <laughs> Uh, I think people, and you're laughing because maybe your husband is very different from you in a lot of ways, but that you see how that actually benefits your relationship. Yeah. And I think that's important. So you have to have similar values like trust and communication and honesty and, you know, things, so there are certain fundamental things that have to be the same or similar. That's where you guys come together and can connect and feel secure and have certainty. But equally, if not more important, is having things that are different between you and your partner. And that's called uncertainty. And that's where passion lies. It can be uncomfortable, 
but also if you don't have differences with your partner, you're not going to have any passion with them. Wow. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. So all the fights that you might have with your husband or conflict that may arise, uh, (laughs) there's also a lot of space for passion and fire and chemistry and connection that may come out of that. Now, if you have all of that, that's the classic like American love story of like, you know, too much uncertainty and not having the security and tranquility and stability that's equally important. Very good. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's really great to, um, to look at that. Is that your doggy? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's really great to, to look at the, uh, how the, because I think you're right. I think that a lot of us think that, oh, I need to go find someone that's just like me. Yeah. I remember when I, you know, when I was hunting, you know, 20 years ago, because that's how long I've been with my husband. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, I want someone who's been through everything that I've been through so they can totally understand me and accept me. And, uh, and it didn't work out that way. You know, thank thank goodness, um, because it's really nice to have someone that is strong where I'm weak. Yes. And vice versa, that like I get to be that for him as well. Yeah. And the one other thing I would say is uh, sometimes we look for people just like us, but other times we meet someone else and then we pretend to be just like them to try to get them to like us. So we, uh, you know, you see people start to drink more alcohol or say they like certain foods or go engage in certain hobbies or activities that their partner does thinking like, oh, if I just do all these things, then they'll truly love me and accept me. But the reality is, again, you have to have differences and you have to have some degree of an independent life from your partner and give them the space to go do those things and accept them for who they are and then and live your own life and do what you enjoy doing too. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about, about intimacy of showing up and showing your partner who you really are. So, yeah, that's great. I don't know how, like, how did we go there? Like, how yeah, I was just saying, we were sort of addiction, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, to just, yeah, I guess, next summit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're all, they're all related, but to just go back to sort of what helped me, um, you know, work through my addiction was uh, putting a lot of energy on it. Um, Tony Robbins has this thing called taking massive action. And I think that's the most important thing is, uh, setting your goal, right? So uh, sobriety is the goal. Um, Getting a mentor or a program or a strategy that works and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's just finding someone who's already done it and maybe hiring them to be your coach. Uh And then number three, taking massive action on that because you can have the right strategy. Like someone could call you up, you've been through addiction and you're sober and someone could call you and you could say, do this and do that. And they cannot do it. And obviously they're not going to get sober or you can have someone who is going to take massive action like me, but I didn't have the right strategy. So I could go do all these things. But if those aren't the things that you need to do to get sober, then I'm not going to achieve my goal. So just to like basically sum up how I found sobriety, it was taking massive action with the right strategy. And that got me there. And you had a mentor. Yes. And I had a mentor who, literally had the exact same addiction. He did the same thing. He got clean um, and surrounding myself and also joining his men's group with five other guys who got clean and just, you know, having that to model after, you know, they say that you're the average of the five people you spend your most time with. So 
spend your time with five sober people and you'll get sober. Yeah. So mentor and community. And um, I definitely want to share your, um, you know, what you do and what you offer because you're quite an extraordinary human being, super easy to be with. I think a lot of people can relate with you. And I mean, heck, you got me crying and I'm supposed to be the one interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> Happens a lot on my podcast too. <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. Um, so your website, and I'm going to say it like this specifically so people say, it is not brendanburns.com. It is brendanhburns.com. Yes. brendanhburns.com and if somebody goes to that um your website they can they can get connected with you and and if they wanted to do coaching with you and find out more about what you do um they can do that right absolutely so if you go to brendanhburns.com that's the landing page where you can watch a free one hour life coaching training. You can find more about my online programs. You can check out my podcast. That's like the home base for everything. So I would definitely encourage anyone who resonated with what I shared today to check that out. And do you, and do you have a, a free gift for the viewers that you're offering? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, again, if you go to my website, uh, you'll see that it, it's called the free masterclass. You could also just go directly to uh, masteringlifeacademy.com and uh, <laughs> the title, I'm always uh, tinkering with it, but the title of this presentation, it's a, it's a one hour free masterclass that anyone can watch whenever they want. Um, it says the, the three life coaching strategies that turned me from a bored drone to living my passion, traveling the world, and earning an income doing what I enjoy. That's awesome. And I thought I had a long tagline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I maxed out the characters on that one. That's great. That's so great. So thank you for that. Thank you for generously offering that to us. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a, fu it's a fun training that I did last year. Um, if you liked that exercise where I talked about the, you're the average of the five people, there's a really cool money exercise where it, it encourages you to look at who you're spending time with and how that can dramatically impact your income. Uh, because if you're hanging out with people who are all making 40K a year, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to make a couple hundred thousand and be able to have a little bit more financial freedom, for, for example, um, just spending time with people who are at that income level I started to do that and someone turned to me, they were like, you charge $150 an hour for coaching? Like, give me your wallet. I'm just going to throw all your money out the window. You're wasting your time and energy. And then I raised my rates to 250 and then 500 an hour. And then I started to do seminars and, you know, Costa Rica retreat I'm doing is cheapest tickets, like $2,000. So just by surrounding myself with people who charge more forced me to level up. And that's in May, the Costa Rica trip, right? Yeah, May 4th through 9th. Um, if you just go to revampretreats.com, you can see more about that. Revampretreats.com. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, you are very welcome. And thank yeah. you for sharing your knowledge and wisdom today. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here and definitely keep in touch. And I'm, I'm happy to share this mission because uh, when I was in addiction, um, I felt like I didn't have control of my life. And no matter what I go through, whether I'm fighting or last night or whatever is going on, I can put my hand in my heart and thank God for my sobriety because just having that is so powerful. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So thank you, Brendan. Thank you so much. And to the viewers, 
Be sure to check in tomorrow. I am again not going to tell you who's going to be on. You have to find out. It's a surprise. <laughs> so may you have a beautiful day and um, and check out Brendan's website. Thank you. Bye.